welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And today I'm joined by writer and poet Dillis Rose to talk about her new short story collection, Sea Fret. Hello, Dillis. Hello, Alistair. Nice to meet you for the first time, I think. Lovely to meet you. And I have to say how much I have enjoyed the short stories of Sea Fret. I really love short stories as a form. So, but first of all, why did you want to write this book of stories? I don't usually start off writing stories thinking about it as a book, but starting off thinking about individual stories that I want to write. And gradually over time, I, I hopefully get a book together. I've, to date, I haven't written a book of stories that have been themed or deliberately themed, but what often happens is themes come back over the course of time and, the, and I circle around probably the same old themes again and again from different angles in all the writing I do. Now, I mean, that's, that's interesting because you're right, the, each story is definitely an individual and, and often very different, but there are themes I think you know, that run throughout this, the, the, this collection as well. Do you have a different approach to writing short fiction uh, and, and then again, and your poetry as well? Is it a different uh, approach in writing? Well, I think the initial impetus is the same. I need to write something. But when it comes to the difference between short stories and, and novel writing, there's one obvious difference, which is that in a short story, you don't necessarily have to deal with the passage of time. Some stories do, of course, deal with the passage of time. Some stories have a great span in them. Um, in fact, they might be seen as almost many novels because of that, but other stories can focus on a, a single moment or a very short space of time. So I think when, to me, the story is concentrated, the drama is concentrated, more likely I'm going to be writing a story about it than a novel. And I just, I often uh, ask myself why short stories seem to be seen as, not a lesser, but, but I often have spoken to people who have started their careers with short story collections and they feel under great pressure to write a novel. You know, it's like, oh, what's the novel? And people oh, say, yes. well, there's a novel coming out. I think that's a shame because I think the short story as a form stands on its own right. I'm in entire agreement with you on that. And I held out for not writing a novel until I'd published three books of stories. Um, some publishers might think I was stupid, but I, I do like the form. I think it, it, that it can do things that the novel can't do. And it's incredibly versatile. You can try out different ways of writing and make a lot of mistakes or make experiments in the short story form that might be unbearable to read in the long form. And, I, you know, the short story has always been, I think, better appreciated across the pond. The United States and Canada has always had much more in the way of outlets for short stories and seems to have generally held it in a bit more respect. But oddly, just more recently, I've heard people saying that they like short stories, for example, to take traveling with them. 
because I think it's perfect for bedtime reading as well, because you can hold a short story in your head. You can, you can read it 15 minutes, 30 minutes. It has often a bigger world than the size of the work yeah. suggests as well. So I think it works an awful lot more on suggestion, on what's left out as much as what's put in. Um, and I quite like the idea of not filling in all the gaps. I'm not overly keen on fiction, which tries to answer all the questions that it sets up. I much prefer Chekhov's asking the right questions idea, usually. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Well, and I've got a question about just that uh, to ask you, you late, later on. But that idea of almost a, a, a glimpse into someone's life is a really interesting one, you know, because you almost leave the reader wanting more. There's a few stories here where you think, I'd like to know more about, you know, these characters. Yes, I mean, uh, the quote I'm thinking of, A Glimpse in Passing, I think was from Raymond Carver, about how he perceived the, the short story form. It's, it's, if you like, it's whetting your appetite to find out more about the characters. And if it works, I think it makes you an a more active reader. That's, my, that's what I enjoy about short stories as a reader as well. I really enjoy reading short stories and not just writing. Yeah. Um, because I think I have the ability, I have a bit more freedom, maybe, the novelist controls the reader a little bit more. That's a very huge generalization, but to a certain extent you have to, because you have to maintain the reader's interest over such a long number, a long time and a great deal of pages. You have to make sure they're with you the whole time. Whereas the short story just works in a different way. No, I, I agree com completely. And you know, some of my favorite writers, I think some of their best work is the shorter fiction. Well, there's there's the potential in the short story to get every everything right. There's mm. the potential to make every sentence exactly as you wish it. If you were to do that with a novel, you'd only write one, and it would probably be quite a short novel. <laughs> so I think you know you can see the best of somebody's writing in mm. short form if they're not just. You know, if they're not just doing it to make a quick buck, and yeah. the chances are you won't make much of a buck from short story writing. Well, yeah, and I think that that is part of the problem as, as, as well. That there's something that maybe readers, I uh, don't know, that they don't maybe, they certainly don't seem to buy short story collections as they might. Um, I mean, you, you'll be able to tell me, in terms of your own work, do your novels outweigh a short fiction? Novels do tend to sell more, um, perhaps stupidly, I've never let that bother me, but because, I, I mean, I, I want to write what I want to write yeah. and what yeah. I enjoy writing, and so I persist, <laughs> perhaps stupidly, uh, to write the short story, because the ideas I get are for stories. Um, yeah. Why try and write something? I mean, there's a big investment if you're writing a novel as well. I'm not a particularly fast writer. And a novel will take me years yeah. 
And I think, well, and sometimes you might make a mistake and it might not work out terribly well. So it's a big investment of your time on something. Sure. sure. So I, I think there is room for there's room for more mistakes with the short form as well. There's room for the odd dud that you just leave in the drawer as well. And I've got a few of them. Not too many. <laughs> no. Now, some of the stories are only a page or two, and they, for me, are some of the most effective. Are they written quickly, or does it depend on the story? Because I guess from a reader's point of view, you'll go, well, that's only a page. That must have been knocked off, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, it's an interesting form. I mean, some people talk about it, call it microfiction or short shorts or whatever, and they're almost closer to poetry or to prose poetry in that, again, some of them do have a narrative. The, the one about the smoke long story, for example, does have a story in it. And it does give you quite a lot of a person's life in the space of one page. Yeah. Uh, just a sort of super concentration. That's, that is one of my favorite stories there where you have this over a smoke break, over a cigarette break, uh, you know, the, the, the thoughts that are going through this. I, that's a good one, which leaves you with, well, I wonder what happened next. It's a great one for that. Mm -hmm. uh, other sorry. one? Oh, sorry. sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. The reason I, I wrote that story was because I, I was doing a little bit, I used to teach the short, short form, as well as short stories and novel writing at, at, univers at university level. And I did a little bit of research into it. And um, in China, they, they call it the, sh the smoke long story. Ah, right. In Japan, they call it in translation, the palm of the hand story. But I, I as a smoker there, as a then smoker, yeah. I thought this was such a great way to describe a story that can be read in the time it takes to smoke a cigarette. So I thought, in, in this case, the title came first. Doesn't often happen like that. And other ones which um, stood out to me was the, the kind of distinctly odd hairball. I mean, oh. when, you come, <laughs> when you come up with an idea that's that kind of wacky, is that, you know, is it something that you embrace? You go, well, I don't know where that, or maybe you did know where that came from. I actually, I do know where that one came from. That one came from, I was working again in my job as a, teacher, creative writing teacher, I was working with the illustration department with our students and the member of staff, one member of staff in the art, um, art school at the time, got together with me and we were talking about doing the same thing as we were asking our students to do, which is collaborative effect, right. effort. And so he showed me one of his illustrations which was of a house with a kind of thing that looked like a hairball to me coming out of it. And that's where the story came from. Oh, that's fantastic. I probably wouldn't have thought of it otherwise, but I don't think he even meant it to be a hairball. It's just that it, it was a kind of mass of giant scribbly stuff coming out of this house. Like a tumbleweed or something like that. Uh, it's a very it's a, such a, a, a strong image and another one which over the a couple of pages perhaps less that tells to me tells a story um is the blue beyond the the, the, the um 
The fish gutter. Fish, fish gutter, yes, exactly. And because the, the, I've worked in, in the catering industry as well, and that difference between the way it's projected and the harsh realities of having a job like a fish gutter and then go, you know, going home and all of those things. And you do get the story almost of this man's life in just a short period of time. That was, that was really taken from my own trips to the northwest coast. I love Ascent particularly, it's my favourite part of Scotland. I've often gone up and stayed in cottages up there for a week or something. And driven over, I remember driving over to a plate, a smokery, and it was a popular stop for tourists. Oh. Us tourists would go and stop the famous smokery. And in this case, there wasn't, it wasn't based on a particular person. It was just my sort of flipping it around and thinking, well, what's it like for somebody who works here? And then going from the what's it like to for somebody, anybody. And then, then I start to kind of, then the character starts to grow in the creation of the, the narrative, the character started to grow and he had a girlfriend and all the rest of it. And I, I think I, I tend to work that way where I don't really plan out what's going to happen. It just, it, it grows and then I shape it. I'm not a planner, so I don't work out beforehand mm -hmm. where the story is going to go. I just let it go where it seems like it should go. And do any of your shorter pieces then become longer ones, like novellas or novels? Um, that's a good question, and I don't know if I can answer it. Um, I certainly haven't done what some people, Bernard Malamud, for example, wrote a short story which turned into a novel. I think the novel, I've, actually, I've completely forgotten what that was. It was a long time ago that I read it. Both a good short story and a good novel. Um, I don't think so, because I think the way I work, I've got a sense when I begin something, not what length it's going to be in terms of pages, but what, whether it's going to be this very concentrated um, piece or whether it's going to allow itself to sprawl. Because one of the, 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 the story that gives Seafret its name, Seafret, that's one that I thought, oh, I really would like to know more about this family that, you know, I could imagine that as an idea becoming something bigger. But um, I guess that's just, again, the idea that we want to know more about these characters, you leave you wanting more. Well, again, that story, there are several characters in it. And of course, we get to know more about some than others. We get yeah. to know more about the, the boy than his mother, for example, or his mother's or the uncles. Uh, so there, there is this bigger world. And I think that's, again, one of the attractions of the short story. There's always a sense of something more. So, you know, it opens things out rather than closes it down. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Um, just a, a, a question that's just occurred to me. How do you choose which title you're going to use for the book, you know, do you, is it just well that that's a really nice title for that story, and therefore I'm going to you know use it, or is it the, your favourite story? Is there how does it work? Yeah, it's a good question. I again, I don't know if I can give <laughs> a particularly good answer. I think some sometimes it has to be 
quite a simple, short title. Um, I know that people, some people like long titles, but I find them quite forgettable or easy to confuse, pick some up. Um, I think with this one, I think I, I don't have favorites, but I do like this story. Yeah. I feel attached to it. Uh, we're not always as attached to all the stories or all the poems in a collection. It's just the way it is. I quite liked it. I suppose in Scotland, people might find it odd because I've used the north northeastern term for the sea mist. It's not mm -hmm. Har. It's Har and East Lothian where I spend a lot of my time. It's the sea fret in Northumberland, but Northumberland was where the story is set. And I, I really like the phrase. I think yeah. it, I love Har as well as a word, a term. But I think sea fret gives me something else. It gives me some connotations. I would agree. I think that it's packed with kind of a lot of uh, meaning that you can you can bring into it. And I do enjoy that. And I just realized as you're saying that, that a lot of your novels are single words as well, aren't they? Certainly the ones that I've read. Yes, that's true. That's true, they are. One, was, one had two, two words. <laughs> um, it's funny though, even with very simple titles, uh, reviewers, um, can can get them wrong. <laughs> and my second collection was called Red Tides, and it's been called Red Tights and Red Tiles. <laughs> so two words. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very, not very good to get the title of a, a book wrong. <laughs> um, now most of the stories uh, have women as their central characters. Is that was that deliberate or is that never a consideration? Is it just you know who you write about? I don't know. Well, you've probably checked this more carefully than I have. They certainly don't all have women. No, they don't all. But I would say more than I don't. I couldn't put a number on it, but it's over fifty. Well over fifty. Probably a few. Probably a few. Yeah. I don't set out to write primarily about women. I mean, my first novel had a man as a protagonist. My second novel, <laughs> no, my, my third novel had a man, my second novel had a woman and a man, a very, um, the father of the daughter in the story. Um, so I don't set out to write primarily about women's experience. I think it just, the stories just present themselves. And I certainly don't weigh them up at the end and think, oh, have I got too many no. male characters or too many female characters? I actually really don't think about that yeah. at all. Um, well, it is interesting, I think, as a reader, that you, you know, it, it's still fairly rare to read about women's lives in this way, in, in, in that they're often, you know, the drama in these stories is often in everyday life, you know, what happens in everyday life, there's what other people might, um, you know, what can I say, there's no... Uh, superheroes or big bangs or anything like that. This is the drama of everything. Big adventures, either. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But that's but that's what makes them for me so beautiful to read is that it, you're finding, um, a, yeah, beauty in in everyday life. Whether it's the fish gutter or whether it's the mother and one of my favourite stories um, is the mother and daughter going out to buy the winter coat. 
oh, right. together because that's yeah. to me uh, is all about what is it called historical dust is that right yes. yeah it, what's unsaid is nearly everything in that story i think yeah well i suppose we take our material where we find it um and i don't like to think of myself as only writing about domesticity because yeah. i'm a woman and a mother and now a grandmother but i don't see anything wrong with writing about domesticity there are lots of things happen in the home lots yeah. of drama happens within these ordinary events yeah. the big things in life life and death and all the rest in between and that and so i think it's probably been undervalued for a long time mainly dare i say because largely women wrote about it and yeah. men tended to to find their material in more exciting areas like travel. I've written about travel as well, I can say. Mm -hmm. But travel, war, um, which not so many women have direct experience of, adventures and such like. But again, I think I can I think I've written about work sometimes, you know, I've got women's doctor, I've got well, two women who are doctors, men are doctors, probably. They're not just living at home, but I know oh, what you mean. It's 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 quieter. Yeah, I guess that is, and not, not not all of them by any means, but that story in particular, I thought you really have to read between the lines to kind of try get a grip on what the relationship really is. And going back to what you said earlier, how much do you trust the reader to read between the lines? You know, you, you've got to. You're, you're not holding our hand and saying, well, this is what this is and this is what that is. You're allowing the reader to kind of, you know, take part, for want of a better term. Well, the great thing about reading is it's a, you have to be active to read. You know, you're not, you're not watching the screen and you're not having, being bombarded with images and music, which is telling you how to feel about the images. People, people do understand, I think, what's happening. I mean, it's up to me as a writer to try my best in a story to get the, the, the subtext into the, the words I'm using. If I don't and you miss it, well, there's nothing much I can do about it. But I hope that you get it without it being, you know, sort of pushed at you. Yeah. I don't like to make, you know, especially with dialogue, you, you see things are reading between the lines. I mean, I think generally speaking, I prefer dialogue, which is not sort of so blatantly obvious that it's telling the reader what to think. But I get quite annoyed when I feel that I'm being taught mm. something or lectured at or, or just given the clues too much. And I'd almost rather be unsure if I got it. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> there are times you, you can have too many questions, I agree. And that can make readers um, a little bit frustrated, but I can't, I can't please everybody all the time. And I don't know who's going to read my work. You know, some people, some people only read dialogue I've discovered. I was driving around, I was once in the Czech Republic doing some readings and the woman who was driving around said, lovely woman said, but all I ever read in novels is dialogue. I said, what? 
And you think, well, maybe somebody just skips all the descriptions. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it if they do that. I can't imagine that. But I guess, you, <laughs> you know, squeak through and then hit some inverted commas and go oh, now <laughs> back to the speech again. But that's, that's odd. There's probably uh, some um, bit of software that would take out all the description, so they're only left with the dialogue these days. Uh, another story I was fascinated by is signed copy as new, where one writer is writing a letter to another, and it made me think, is there any truth in that one? Or what could have inspired that? No, there's, there's no truth in that at all. I mean, it's... It's just a situation which I wanted to explore because I think the world of professional jealousy is very much alive and well. And I think I wanted to explore how people feel in that situation. I've seen it not just in the writing world, but in the art world, in the music world. How do people behave when they're, um, they're their peers who might have been their friends are more successful than they are. And, you know, it's, it's just like any of the other stories, I get an idea and it sort of doesn't go away until I write it down as a story. You said at the very beginning that the stories come and the poetry comes because you have to write. So that, that's a compulsion that you feel that, you know, this, um, this isn't just a passing thought that it might be for other people. This is something I have to get down and share? Well, if I don't do something with it, it will just kind of niggle at me quite a lot. So it's not that I, you know, I feel I absolutely have to or I will die, but it just irritates me. And it, I think that there's always a right time to start something and a wrong time to start something. I, I have started something too soon when the idea hasn't properly germinated you know if you know sometimes a story is maybe based on something that i've seen or heard or experienced and i want to write about it and i started too soon and it just doesn't quite work i haven't i haven't found the i haven't found the core for it or i haven't found the key to it maybe the key to it is better and then there are other times where, and I try to avoid doing this, I've talked about the story to somebody. And eventually, essentially, I've just talked it out of my system. Ah, that's interesting. And it doesn't come alive anymore. So now I try to avoid talking about anything until I've written it. <laughs> and you say that you've had um, stories which you think this doesn't work for this collection or it maybe doesn't work now and it goes in a drawer. Did they ever come back out the drawer and be reignited? I have, I have tried take, taking them out of the drawer and trying to revive them. Um, but in, I think every case they've just stayed and gone back into the drawer or gone into the bucket. That's interesting. Um, they stay there for a wee while. I mean, there's not a lot now, but right. the one thing I used to find, the problem is not finishing something and leaving it and then going back to it later because you've kind of gone off the boil with it or I've forgotten why I ever wanted to write it in the first place. Are you, you so that's a bad thing to do. Yeah. If I can get it to a, an end, 
even if it's a, a rough draft and it's messy, I can revisit it and work on it. But the worst thing, and I still do it after 40 odd years, I still let things go like that, which I really shouldn't do. Is that because you kind of when you move on to the next thing that becomes your focus and yeah or just because life takes over and you have to stop doing something and do something else um say all right i haven't quite got to i'll just have to put it aside for just now and then for whatever reason you don't get back to it for a couple, for a couple of months three months and then it's it's gone so, and there's a dark side to some of these stories is that a fair uh, assessment to say it's things such as wolf skin and arachne and celeste um are you drawn to darkness so to speak in inverted commas well we need darkness to see the light and all that we need the light to see the darkness i'm drawn to all shapes mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm scottish <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> darkness we need to we need to deal with darkness, don't we? Well, no, I think that's true. And in, in a lot of the um, great short stories, there is a kind of there's certainly a darkness. There's almost a kind of uh, mythical part to them as well. I'm thinking of something like Theron Janet or you know those kind of uh, stories from from way way back. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to read, you know, kind of modern, not modern versions, but modern dark tales, if you like, that way. I don't, I'm not personally drawn to writing in the Gothic style. Yeah. So somebody described my first novel as being Gothic. I don't think it was Gothic, really. Uh, but I suppose it depends on how you interpret the word. But I find when I go back and look at what, what is called Gothic work, I find it that it just seems almost slightly comical to me now. Partly because it's got this edifice around it of the, the creepy building and the grisly people and the sort of dark, nasty secret. But I'm still drawn to odd, odd things, not necessarily the darkest, nastiest. No. Um, I like a bit of light relief occasionally too. And I also think, yeah, I like dark humor more than I like just dark darkness. Yeah. And a lot of these are, you almost feel like you're observing these individuals as they go about their, their work or their day or whatever they're doing. And is that something you do yourself? Are you someone who uh, observes people uh, as they go? Is that part of being a writer? I'm a great eavesdropper. <laughs> I, used to be, I do listen to people, although they don't talk nearly as much on buses as they used to. They're too busy on their phones now. Yeah. Um, but yes, I observe. You have to. You have to look around. I also, I also do quite a lot of life drawing. So life drawing is a great way to observe movement of the body. But. I'm not, I'm not kind of going out in the street looking for characters. I'm not sitting in the carpets thinking, oh, that she'll, she'd be interesting to put in the story. I really don't do that. Somebody might, by, by chance, cross my path. And I think, hmm, that person's interesting. Well, that's, 
interesting the way we're doing something. It can often be a really small detail about somebody that starts me off, rather than if you know too much about somebody, it can be harder to fictionalise them. Yeah. But if you know just a little bit, you can use your imagination and build on that to get a character. That puts me in mind of the very first story in the collection, which is um, an encounter and transport and travelling with a stranger and all of those things. Um, <clears throat> is that is that something that uh, you've encountered yourself, such a... Uh, yes, that story is too loosely based on my own experience of travelling on a Greyhound bus. And the fact that, I, I don't know what it is, but I often find that people talk to me quite a lot. I don't think I'm a terribly good listener or anything, but uh, you know, once I, I sometimes come away from a chance encounter with somebody thinking, that person has told me every job they've had and their whole family life and they've asked next to nothing about me. They don't know who they've told this information to. And that's kind of where that idea came from. That's really that's interesting. I don't think I ever, uh, maybe sometimes in the pub, but you know, strangers unburdening themselves on me, maybe that's their like. Um, so, What's next for you now that Sea Fret is out? Uh, without you, you have to give me details on it, but are you already working on the next thing? I have just finished, I hope, finished a collection of po poems. Um, it's under consideration at the moment. Um, so I, I think I'm still kind of working on that book because I, you always want to add a few more new ones and I'm still in the poetry mode. Um, when, if and when that finally, or not finally, even when that comes together, I, I have an idea for some a longer piece of fiction, uh, but I can't talk about it, or I won't talk about won't it. Won't talk about it. Well, that's <laughs> I shouldn't talk about it. Now. And, and you, you mentioned you're going into poetry mode, and is, is it a kind of shift in that sense from writing fiction to poetry? Yes, it is. I can't really articulate what the difference is, but I just get into the into this poetry zone for a while and ideas for more poems suggest themselves. And also with poems, I think one sort of one idea feeds off another idea. They're not just completely random, especially at this late stage of the book when I've got quite a lot of material there. And I'm starting to think, well, you know, there are certain themes running through it which I didn't set out to put in, but are there. And so now I'm thinking, oh, I haven't really thought about this. I suppose it's just a sense of trying to make it as good a book as you can. Yeah. Do you, do you ever surprise yourself with your writing? Maybe you constantly surprise yourself. I hope to surprise myself quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't mean, sort of, wow, I didn't <laughs> think I could do that. <laughs> um, it's more like, oh, I didn't know that she was going to be such an important character. Or I didn't yeah. know that he was going to do that. But there is that happens. And I think if you don't plan, you allow that surprise to come in. I think there has to be an element of discovery 
for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I knew all the important aspects of the story before I start, I really probably wouldn't write. Because part of the pleasure is in finding out what's there. And it's not just the events, but it's finding out what's there in the imagery and in the language. And so I, I'm, I'm as pleased if I get the sentences right. Yeah. You know, that the language and how I use it, I won't say it matters more than what the story is about, but it's, it can't really be separated out from it. And in that sense, does your poetry and your fiction feed into each other? Or are they, yes, they do, yeah. They do, yeah. I, I don't mean directly. I'm not saying there's a, I've got a poem about this and I've got a story no, no. about that. But the way I write fiction, I think, is dependent partly on poetry. Because in poetry, you're thinking about the sound of the language, the phrasing, at every step. And I, I do that in short fiction as well. I can't, to the same extent, do that with novel. I've already explained why not, because mm-hmm. the perfectionist urge wouldn't stop me writing very much at all. But yeah, I think what I learn from writing poetry, I apply. That when there's a there's a bit of a problem there. Some people think when you say oh, it's fiction by a poet. I remember somebody worth seeing one time saying, um, this is some fiction from a poet, thankfully free of wordsmithery. <laughs> and I thought, what's wrong with wordsmithery? Actually, what they meant was fancy poetic language. And yeah, fine. But then I don't write poetry like that. Mm. I don't think I write poetry like that either. So it's this idea. Mercifully free of words, misery. I can't remember who said that. <laughs> Just thought, well, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what, what do you mean? Because if, you know, all forms of writing can be overwritten or over or anything, you know, ex- extreme. Exactly, but I think that the term wordsmithery has become sort of undervalued as well and distorted because it actually means that you're yeah, making things happen with the language. Yeah, exactly, that you're a master craft of your Well, Dillis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, at all, it's been very nice chatting to you. I think we'll hope we haven't run over time. Not at all. Plenty of time. And all the best with Seafret as well. People should, it's, I should say it's um, published with Scotland Street Press. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So people should go out. Thanks very much. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. <laughs>